Jesus that we can gather today. It's in that same name and by the same blood that we can even come to you in prayer. And so God, we rejoice in the great salvation that you have given through your son Jesus. God, the Holy Spirit, we rejoice in the great hope that you bring us as not only as you dwell inside of us, but as you have sealed us to the day of redemption as Father you open our eyes to the truth that is your word you guide us, you direct us you teach us, you convict and as we'll see today Father you even intercede for us in behalf of prayer and the truth is is I'm very limited in even knowing how to come to you in prayer even for this time <clears throat> Holy Spirit, I thank You that You are interceding with a full knowledge of the perfect will of God. And so, Lord, I pray now as we open Your Word that we see it as the privilege that it is. God, I pray that nothing untrue would be said. I pray that You would speak to Your people, encourage Your people, and edify Your people through the proclamation of Your Word. God, I pray if there are any that will ever come under the sound of my voice through video or even here today that don't know you in a personal way. God, that you would grant life. As your word says, Holy Spirit, that you would cause them to be born again unto salvation and eternal hope. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, uh, Jordan. Thank you again, Miss Lynn. We're glad that you're here. And tell your friends hello. We're glad. Yep. Can I use this cool pedal? I don't think it'll help me any. Um, so, uh, welcome to our virtual gathering, and I would like to welcome all of you that are here. There's probably eight or ten actual, real life, breathing human beings that are in our presence today, and I thank the Lord for that. Um, but praise the Lord, there is, as far as we know today, light at the end of this tunnel in regards to us gathering again. And so our plan is still to gather together and worship face-to-face -face next Sunday, May the 31st. And um, we are really, really excited about um, of the opportunities that the Lord has given us to do that in a safe, comfortable way that we think will accommodate um, all of us. And so I will be going on Facebook Live tonight at 5 o'clock to kind of give that announcement and give some information and kind of let you know uh, sort of the path that we've taken up to this point and then if the Lord wills the path that we will take for the next couple of months. But uh, So tonight at 5 o'clock, Facebook Live, and if you don't have Facebook, which I don't even know why I'm saying that to people that are on Facebook right now. Um, but So we'll get that information out through all of our um, platforms, through, um, through our email list. and uh, So yeah, if, if, if you know of anybody that isn't tuning in now and can't and would certainly want this information. Um, just comment on this thread, or you, if you have my number, you can text me or text one of the elders, and we'll be sure to give them a personal call. Um, but we're super excited about the opportunity the Lord's given us. We, we feel like He has just shown His faithfulness to us once again um, in a way that we can gather that, that will be, um, Lord willing, just comfortable and safe and, and in a way that we can glorify Him and celebrate who He is and what He's done 
uh, once again face-to-face together. So tonight at 5 o'clock um, on Facebook Live, we will uh, make that announcement. And so this morning, we will actually wrap up our time in God's providence. We didn't plan this. We had no idea knowing May 31st was going to be our first Sunday back together. Um, and so next Sunday, we'll start the book of Exodus. And I just want you to know, uh, we're going to be in that book a while. Okay, so probably like John and Hebrews type journey, it's, it'll be at least a year and a half, maybe even a little bit longer, just depending on um, a lot of different things now. Two months ago, I might would have said, it's going to be a year and a half, we're going to be in Exodus. One thing the Lord's taught me through this, uh, the last couple of months is, uh, it, it's not just semantics to say, if you will, Lord, it's actual, uh, you know, it's actually something that we should believe. And, and so our plan is, is to probably spend about a year and a half in, in the book of Exodus. And I think that the Lord is going to do a tremendous work in our individual hearts, but also in the hearts of our life of the church, just to understand His, his plan of redemption um, um, from that Old Testament view. And so and we'll start the book of Exodus next week. But today we wrap up our last um, sermon in the series, Hope in Hard Times, that we began um, shortly after... This, this whole pandemic started. We felt like it was vitally important for us to speak uh, the, the, the truth that the Bible speaks in regards to suffering and, and to try to develop a good theology around that, but also for us to understand who we are as humans and, and to have a, a realistic biblical expectation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this world. And, and so I hope that that has happened for you. I hope that um, through this journey through God's Word that you have... Um, maybe a better grasp on what it means to be a human and, and what to expect as a follower of Jesus in this broken world, but even more importantly, the hope that is to come in, in the next life. Our ultimate hope is not in what we can see. We've seen that plainly. Mm-hmm. Our hope is in what, what is to come. And it's in fact that very hope that we see in, in the life of Paul and, and Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit just over and over and over again communicates to God's people um, to fix our eyes not on what we can see, but on the next life and the promises that are to come. So the original plan was for us to be in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning, but as I began to study a couple of weeks ago in Romans chapter 8, I just really couldn't get out of that mindset. Um, as, as, as I said, Romans 8 is probably one of, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really, like, you know, it's all inspired but Romans 8, if, if, if I had to go somewhere and, and, and all I could take with me was one chapter of the Bible, Romans 8 is the chapter of the Bible that I would take. I mean, it, it begins with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. And there's just a, a lot of gold in between. I mean, it's a beautiful chapter of the Bible that speaks to gospel victory and gospel living and the hope that's in the next life. And, and so um, I, I kind of got hung up on verses 26 and 27, especially in regards to everything else that we've talked about over the last few weeks, um, and, and don't misunderstand me in saying that what we've talked about in the last few weeks was primarily theological or, or just doctrine or just biblical truth, um, those things are very practical. But I think we could still have walked away, even with a good understanding of what the Bible teaches about certain subjects, we, we could still walk away going, but I'm still in this suffering, I'm, I'm still having a hard time, like what do I do? Like okay, I, I believe that these things are true. But what now do I actually do? Like, What would be the application of the things that we've learned over the last couple of weeks? And so one of the ways that we apply what we know to be true or see to be true in the Bible 
um, in, in the midst of suffering is prayer. In fact, friends, it's one of the primary things that we're called to do and commanded to do, and I even say it this way, that we should do and can do whenever we find ourselves in difficult times. Now, I've said this every week. I know everybody that's listening to me right now is not going through a difficult time. I get that. For some of us, this uh, this pandemic, I mean, there's been more sil- silver lining and um, God's redeemed many things in your lives and, and you feel uh, better and even closer to Him and closer to family and in, in a true desire for church like more than you ever have. And so thank Him for His faithfulness in that. But the truth is some people, because of this pandemic, are in a very dark place. Um, and, and the reality is, as we've seen over and over and over every Sunday, is that at some point if we live long enough, we will all find ourselves face-to-face with a difficult time or, or a hard time. And so it's important that we understand that in those moments that we feel so desperate and, and the darkness seems to be closing in, there is something that we can do. And, and, and even to say it a better way, there's someone that we can go to and, and what the Bible uses to describe that and, and that communion with the Lord is, is through the word prayer. And so Romans 8, 26 and 27 deal with prayer and it also deals with God's will. Now, I don't know of a subject that has caused more perplexity for Christians than the subject of prayer unless you want to add or just throw in there knowing God's will. And this, these two verses deal with both. Okay, And, and so uh, there are a lot of questions that come up around prayer. And, and some of those questions may be, uh, what should I pray for? How should I pray? Can I, through prayer, claim things to happen to me? And if I have enough faith, am I guaranteed that those things will happen? Or do I always make my prayers sort of tentative, kind of um, adding the caveat, if your will be done? Can we pray wrongly? Does prayer change God's mind? Can it change God's plans? And if it can't do those things, then why does it even matter if we pray? These are all questions that I personally have had over the years and I have fielded a ton of questions in my life as a pastor surrounding this idea of prayer but also surrounding this idea of of God's will. And and so just uh, don't get too excited. I'm not attempting to answer those questions this morning. But what we will do this morning is look closely at 26 and 27 of Romans chapter 8 and I think that we'll get some tremendous help in this area of, again, understanding how whenever we are in suffering, because that's this context, when we are in suffering and we know where to pray, how the Lord even helps us in that idea of prayer and even in the idea of of God's will, primarily the fact that we don't know what God's will is. So let's let's go ahead and start in verse 26. And I'm going to read 26 and 27, and then we'll slow down and, 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 and look at a few key words, and then we'll wrap up our time. 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, look back at verse 26, and and that, that very first word is key because he says, he says likewise. And I, I don't think I'm flipping over any rock here in, in, in defining what that means. It means in the same way. And so the next question we should ask is, likewise or in the same way, 
as what? And if you just look a couple verses up, in verse 24, he says, For in this hope we are saved. And so the hope that he's referring to there is the hope that the sons of God have in, in the revealing of the glory of God. It's the hope that the creation that's groaning, because both, as we saw last week, have been subjected to this futility because of sin, creation and humanity were groaning. And in that groaning, uh, even the Greek word used for creation, um, eagerly waiting, is literally creation is on its tiptoes, looking and longing and waiting and just peeking around the corner, waiting for the redemption of the sons of of glory, because whenever God does call His people home, and and there's um, all um, at, at the consummation of all things, there is a new creation, there's a new heaven, and there's a new earth, and and, and Paul describes that beautifully. In that creation is groaning, mankind is groaning, but we're eagerly awaiting. And he talks about this hope, the hope in the promises of God, the hope in in the work of Jesus, the ultimate victory that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says, likewise. But he even goes further back. If you want to look, and, it, and, and this will be on the screen. He's first introduced this idea of prayer in Romans 8 and verses 15 and 16. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and, and here's our reference to prayer, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And, and verses 15 and 16 teach the, of the Spirit's enabling us to pray, but primarily here, which is a theme throughout Romans chapter 8, is ensuring the believer that we are God's children. But after that, I mean, you could even describe it as sort of a digression after verse 16, because then he really doubles down on this idea of, of suffering, and not just the idea of suffering, but the reality of suffering in our lives. And so this there, there's a necessity in us understanding prayer's role. And one of the roles that prayer has is, according to Romans 8, is it ensures us that we are God's children, that we have been adopted, that we do have communion with the God of the universe because of the work of, of His Son. And so likewise is in the same way that we have this hope, in the same way that we're ensured that we can go to God and say, Abba, Father, because we can know that we are His children. So He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, helps us in our weakness does, I believe, answer one of the questions of prayer. And one of them, and I didn't say it this way directly a second ago, but I'll, I'll say it this way now. Why is it a problem and even hard to understand? I'm going to read that phrase again see if you can pick it out before I tell you. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so what word there do you think will help us understand better why it's difficult for us to understand why we should pray? Does anybody here know? Weakness. The word weakness. We're weak. Do you remember a couple weeks back? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we're jars of clay. Fragile. Breakable. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul used another analogy. He said we're tense, we're temporal, we're transient. He said this phrase in a couple of different ways. Basically, what we can fix our eyes on is passing away. And so everything that we can see, touch, hear, smell, everything around us, 
falls into the category of something that's temporal or something that's transient. It doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean that it's bad to be a jar of clay. It doesn't mean that it's bad to be described as a tent. It doesn't mean that um, everything in this life and our experience in this temporal world is bad. That's not what he's saying. It's not a good versus bad. It's a temporal versus permanent. And so the hope for the believer is because of Jesus, we have a place to fix our eyes that's permanent. And that's why we have to have this realistic expectation of, of this life and, and what it means or, and what it's for. Because if we think this life is meant to be more permanent than God designed it to be, then we're going to be shaken up pretty quickly whenever this life begins to be unsteady. And so it, 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 it's also important to note here that when Paul speaks of weakness in this context, he's not speaking of sin. Sin, yes, can be a, a barrier in prayer, but it's not the only reason that we have a barrier in prayer. In, in, at least in this context, it's not the main reason. And so what weaknesses does Paul have in mind? And as we look at these two, I want to make this point very clear. As we answer the question, what weaknesses does Paul have in mind? This is true of every single human. If you can just think in your mind right now of the godliest person that you know. Some of you might say Billy Graham. Some of you might say Dolan Davis. That'd be what I say. Some of you might say, uh, the, you know, Brandon Howe. You know, so I, I don't know, but the godliest person that you know, think of them and keep respecting them and keep honoring them and keep listening to them. That's not what I'm saying, but this is true of them. This is true of every human. And the first thing Paul speaks to here in regards to weakness, this isn't the primary. We'll go ahead, Brandon. This isn't primary, but I think it's worth mentioning. It's physical weakness. You remember when the disciples, right before Jesus goes um, to the cross, He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and He goes to pray. You remember when Jesus separates Himself from the disciples and He goes off and He prays and um, there's uh, like drops of blood coming from His pores because He's being pressed and the, just the weight and the gravity of the situation that He's walking into sort of begins to come down on Him. And He leaves His disciples and He tells them to what? To pray. You remember? And then what did they do? I don't think we should judge them. If I'm honest, my biggest weakness in prayer comes here. Physical limitation. Because I know I should pray. I'm committed to pray. But it's when I try to execute that prayer that I can be praying and it can be rocking on and everything's going good and before I know it, I'm already thinking about fishing. Or I'm thinking about football. Or I'm thinking about the plans for the day. Or I'm thinking about my wife. Or I'm thinking about a bird or something crazy. And so that is a, a, an example of these physical limitations. And then, all, I mean, obviously you can fall asleep. And so we have a physical limitation. But the primary thing Paul's talking about here is not the physical limitation or the weakness. And in that way, he's speaking of a weakness that, in regards to ignorance or a lack of understanding. And, and just so you can see it for yourself... You see it in the, uh, in the middle part of verse 26 in that second sentence. For the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And so this isn't a question of should I pray? This isn't a question of how to pray. This is a question of what to pray. And due to our human limitations and weakness, we simply do not know in some circumstances, how to pray rightly. We don't know what to ask mainly because we don't know 
what God's ultimate will is, and I am assuming that that is a priority for you. It, it is borderline sinful and maybe heretical for us to understand that prayer, like in, in the context of prayer, that we can assume to know the will of God so much that we proclaim something that we're not 100% sure is going to happen. I understand the sentiment. I understand the desire. But it is putting ourselves in a position that the Bible clearly does not have us. God is the only one that knows the secret mystery and the unrevealed will of God. There are parts of God's will that He has revealed. We don't have time to go into all of that. But there's also the reality that we have a weakness in understanding the complete will of God. I have this weakness. Paul had this weakness. We, he uses these pronouns, we, us, our, I mean, we all have this weakness. This is a human problem. It's part of the human condition. Even the greatest of saints have had this difficulty. And I thought of a couple examples um, from the Old Testament of, of men that I think all of us would have, you know, in high regard as far as some of the greatest saints that have ever walked on this planet. And, and I thought of Job. Job had the testimony of God that he was a righteous man. Evidently, there was no outstanding sin in Job's life that would have served as a barrier between he and God. But because of all the suffering that came about or, or that came upon Job, he was a confused man. As righteous as he was, as dignified as he was, as good as his life had gone, he had walked a, a, a morally straight line. When the suffering hit, when the hard times came, he struggled to find hope. And the reason he struggled to find hope is because he had this weakness. He didn't understand or know why or what God was doing. That's clear if you read the story of Job. He didn't know why he was suffering as he was. Job knew he had no answer. <clears throat> thought of another story. This one puzzles me even more than Job's story. But I thought about the prophet Elijah. Elijah was a courageous man as a prophet. I mean, he, you might remember in 1 Kings that after he stood confidently against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. I don't know if you've read that story ever or if you remember it, but it is absolutely a fascinating story to where he's so confident, he's so courageous, he's basically taunting all these um, idolatrous worshipers to, to call down fire and to call down fire and, and they can't do it. And then it comes his turn to do it and he tells them to wet the wood all the more and he prays and fire falls from heaven, and you say, man, that's a prophet. Like, that's a man of God that understands the power of God and is, is such a powerfully praying man, and that is true. But I don't know if you remember what happened immediately following that victory on Mount Carmel. He flees to the desert, and this is his prayer. 1 Kings 19.4 But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might, what does that say? Die. Die saying, not, Lord, my work is done. I've done all you need me to do. No. Saying, it is enough. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. In the context, he's, he's freaking out because this leader named Jezebel wants to kill him. Now, keep in mind, this is a man that just called down fire from heaven, okay? And, and, and saw a tremendous act and move of God and the means that God had chosen to, to, to display His power, one of those means was through His prayer. Some people call this the Elijah complex. 
Like God uses you in a magnificent way and then you just take a day later journey into the wilderness and, and you're praying this worried, confused prayer, foolish prayer to die. I think Job teaches that one can be righteous and still not know what to pray. I think Elijah teaches that one can be courageous and still not know what to pray. Friends, don't. We can't let our minds slip to a place of pride and arrogance when it comes to prayer. We're weak. We lack knowledge. We don't have the full knowledge of God. We don't have the full revelation and the mystery of the will of God. And in our posture of prayer, we always have to have that posture and have that understanding. Here are two of the strongest men in the entire Bible that show this weakness. That they too, even though God used them powerfully, they still had this reality that they were weak. And so, of course, if it's a problem for Job and Elijah and, and, and every saint ever, we'll have problems to know what to pray for. But praise the Lord, this passage isn't primarily about um, the problem. It's actually about the help that the Holy Spirit offers. And so let's read on. Well, not read on. Let's look at, at another key word in verse 26. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses for the Spirit's role in prayer here for helps is very long. It's it's way longer. Okay, yeah, there it is. Anybody want to try it? Didn't think so. I'm not going to try it either. Even though I played it on Logos over and over again trying to figure out how to say it. I'm not going to try it in my redneck lingo. I'm going to say, say redneck. Is that redneck? With your accent. Okay, gotcha, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so, all right. In in the Greek language, a lot of times, what we find is a combination of multiple words. Now, what we don't have the luxury of in, in English, help is a really good translation, but it doesn't give us the full meaning. And so, this word has three parts. The first part is "son," which means along with. The second part is "anti," which means in the place of. The third part is Lebano, which means to take hold of or to bear. Alright, now here's what it means altogether. The word refers to a person coming alongside another to take part of a heavy load and to help him bear it. So, I'm going to read it again. Likewise, the Spirit comes alongside of us to help us take part in a heavy load. And He helps us bear it. In our weakness. The connection that maybe is happening in your mind, it didn't in my mind, was in John chapter 14. If you remember a few weeks back, I think the second week of our study in Hope and Hard Times, we saw John 14, 26, where Jesus promised this help. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. If you remember... Um, some of your translations there translate helper as advocate or comforter. The idea is the same in both passages. Is even though we're weak, the Bible is not just exposing our weakness without any remedy. The Bible is showing that we have not just any old help, but we have help from, from God Himself. He sends His Spirit to help us in prayer. And so with this main idea of Romans 8 is helping us in bearing a specific burden namely the one that we're struggling along under the burden of weakness, of, of ignorance. And so the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and helps us 
shoulder the load. He labors with us. Notice what this means is that faith is always going to be an element. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't come along revealing more to us of what the future is going to behold. Not any more than He's already revealed to us in His Word. And so that's not the help that He's talking about. And again, so be leery of anybody that comes to you saying God spoke to them if they're not reading to you after that from the Word of God. Because we have the Spirit's help in our weakness not to tell us what the future is so we know what to expect. The Bible lets us know that we have the Spirit's help in our weakness to increase our faith and trust in, in the Lord. So Paul uses another word here that helps us understand what's going on. If you look in verse, the last part of verse 26, he says, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You probably know what an intercessor is. He's one who pleads another's case. And, and I, I think the meaning of this is beautiful. And there is an assumption the Bible makes here. The assumption the Bible makes here is that we truly desire God's will. And I know how that feels. Because there are certain things that I've walked through in, in my own personal life that if I'm just showing my hand here, I don't like that it was God's will. I still don't. Even though I see His faithfulness, like the, the there's no part of my flesh that was can even now get excited about the, the pain that, that I went through. But I think as we grow in the grace and knowledge and truth of what the Bible teaches us, and as we're sanctified more into the image of and mind of, of Jesus Christ as our mind is renewed then we begin to know and understand that it's not about us liking everything that we go through but again it's to deepen our faith and to increase our trust in the God of the universe but we have this one who intercedes on our behalf and, and I, honestly I don't know if this means he changes our prayers or if he um, deletes sections of our prayers or like what that looks like but somehow we have the main intercessor that we need in order to pray in a way that glorifies God. I think at the end of the day, most believers would say, we desire for our prayers to be in accordance with God's will, but we have this weakness, we have this ignorance, and that we cannot do that in and of ourselves, no matter how hard we try. And so God has graciously given us the intercessor of His Holy Spirit. Look at verse 27. This is how this intercession happens. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There was one biblical illustration. I was trying to think of, like, where do we see this in Scripture? What would be a good way to illustrate this? And I thought about Jesus and Peter in one conversation they had in Luke chapter 22. I feel like Jesus did this for Peter when he told Peter that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. And then Jesus said this in verse 32 of Luke 22, or 31 and 32. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now let's pause there and act like we can't read 32 yet. If you know enough about the life of Peter, you know that uh, Peter's remedy for this would have been the flex. Peter's remedy would have been to say, oh, he's not going to sift me like wheat. I'm too strong. I'm too courageous. I'm too bold. But he's weak. And he doesn't know what he's capable of. He doesn't know that he's about to go deny Jesus three times, the very one that he's left everything to follow. But Jesus did. And watch this intercession. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
And so the prayer that Jesus has for Peter is in perfect accordance to God's will. How do we know that? One, Jesus prayed it. Two, it happened. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Let's him know he's going to turn. He's going to fail. But when you come back, strengthen your brothers. But it's this prayer from Jesus that is the means that God uses to be sure that Peter perseveres. It's in a similar way that the Holy Spirit intercedes for all of God's children. Peter didn't know what to pray here. In fact, he probably wasn't even praying. I've already referenced it, but later that evening, he's going to fall asleep when Jesus goes to the garden to pray. But Jesus prays for him, and Jesus' prayers were answered. And as a result, Peter goes on to many years of, of useful service and wrote quite a few books of the New Testament. Peter preached the sermon at Pentecost where thousands were saved, and the New Covenant New Testament church was actually birthed. And so, to be clear, it is a tremendous grace that, from God that He intercedes in the way that He does through His Holy Spirit. But I think another thing to point out, point out about this word helps and, and this word um, intercedes is that it doesn't mean that we don't have a role. Going back to one of the questions of prayer, well, if God's in control of all things and He's sovereign and I can't know His will and His will's not going to change and He's even praying for me, so like, what's the point? Well, I think that's where the word helps can be helpful. We do have a role. He helps us in our weakness. We have a responsibility to pray and to pray regularly and to pray fervently. And so this word, this news is to help us as we struggle. But notice as the Spirit helps and the Spirit intercedes, somehow in this interaction within the Godhead, as He's interceding, there are these groans. We've seen groans three times in Romans chapter 8. We've seen the creation groans. We've seen that the sons of man or humanity groans. And we know that their groaning was because of they've been subjected to futility. They're groaning because they can suffer and they live in a world that's been cursed due to sin. But what does it mean that the Spirit groans? And I don't pretend to know the whole meaning of what it means for the Spirit to groan. I do think that he he groans perfectly. I think that he pleads perfectly because he searches the hearts and he knows the will of God and so he can do what we cannot do ourselves in regards to our groaning. It's a perfected groaning, but it's not the same kind of groaning even though it's the same kind of word. But one way that I did think of it this week, and I want you to kind of pretend with me here, I don't know how many of you hate moving. Does anybody hate moving anymore? Yeah, I hate moving. Moving is terrible. Um, I might, I may or may not help you move. I mean, I may pull the week back card, um, or just help you know start a GoFundMe to pay somebody else to do it. But I hate moving. But at one church that I was in, we used to have to move the piano all the time. And, and so this piano, I don't know if you ever moved a piano, but pianos are ridiculous to move, and they're heavy, they're awkward. And you got to be super careful because evidently there's thing, a lot of things in there that can break, right, Jordan? I'm sure yeah. there's yeah, there's a lot in there that can go wrong. And, and so, uh, when you move a piano, there are a lot, there's a lot of grunting and groaning and oh, ah, mm, you know. All right, so think of it this way: Are you more appreciative of the groan that comes from the dude 
that stands off to the side and says, man, that looks heavy. <laughs> man, y'all should be, look, try to do it this way. Or, are you more appreciative of the dude that's right across from you groaning because he's under the load with you? It's in this way that the Spirit helps. And so the Spirit, and we see this with Jesus. Friends, we see this in so many ways. It's such a beautiful grace that God just comes into our lives and into our experience and, and intercedes for us and, and helps us. He's under the burden with us. Even though I don't fully know how to uh, uh, communicate that to you in this illustration, I'm sure has a holes all in it. He's not just off to the side letting us know that it's heavy. The groans that we hear and, and, and the groaning that He's doing is as He, as we saw in the Word, helps. As He comes alongside of us and helps us bear the burden. That's a, a real burden bear. That's the groan that you want to hear. And this is exactly what the Holy Spirit offers. And this is exactly what Paul means. So friends, I don't know of a passage of Scripture that provides a greater encouragement for prayer. Even though you may still have all the questions that we started this teaching time with, as, as I do have some myself, the fact that the Spirit comes to the aid of believers that are perplexed by the idea of prayer and are perplexed by just, just the, uh, the knowledge of not knowing the will of God, but that we can take our concerns to God with an intensity that's far greater than we could ever imagine because even though the burden's heavy for us and, and it's hard to have the energy and the intensity that we need to go to the Lord in prayer, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and helps us carry that burden. And so the burden in prayer of this, man, I just don't even know how to pray or what to pray, so I'm just not going to pray. Friends, there's, there's literally no category for that in the Bible. There are believers who pray with the understanding that we're not going to pray perfectly. We're not going to say the right things every time. We're not going to approach God in the right way every time. When that burden's heavy, the Holy Spirit comes alongside with groans that we don't know how to groan, with intercessions that we definitely need. And He does all of this. All of this on our behalf and in our place. So it is true that we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit has been given to help us precisely in this area as well as in many, many other ways. And with His help, as we commit to pray, we will make progress in this area. So I hope and pray that you've been encouraged by these verses. And just a couple of thoughts in as we leave. And these aren't going to be on the screen. But I want to challenge us all to be consistent in prayer. To not only be encouraged by these verses, to see the help that God has given us in prayer, but to be consistent in prayer. If it helps you to have a certain time of day that you do that, then do that. If it helps you to pray as you go, and, and I, do that. But the point is to pray. Don't, don't think you can read a book and, and it tell you how you're supposed to pray in the exact time and the exact frame. I'm, I'm looking at people today that have are in totally different areas of life. That have young children. Some have no children. Some are engaged. Some are newly married. Like 
it's going to look different for all of us, but I think the clear biblical command is particularly, not just in hard times, but in this context, it's they're in hard times. It's to pray and to be consistent in that prayer and always remember who we're praying to and who we're praying to is the sovereign king of the universe. And it, within His sovereignty, one of the things that He has done is He has ordained prayer as a means to accomplish His will. So it's not about, does it change God's mind? It's not about, does it change God's plan? It's about a means to His end. And one of the means that He has ordained for His end to come about are through the prayers of His people. And so as we close today, we think about this wonderful gift of prayer, this wonderful privilege of prayer. Um, believer, our response, or at least one response, and it's really difficult to do this virtually, so... Our, our primary response this morning, at least in, during this time, is, is going to be to um, partake in communion. Had it not been for the blood of Jesus, and had it not been for the body of Jesus, we would not have the ability to pray. Um, we would not have access to the Lord. We would still be under this old covenant that had so many requirements and so much repetition over and over and over and over and over again. But Jesus Christ came and made the perfect sacrifice. The once and for all sacrifice. There's no more need for any more sacrifice in regards to our ability to come to God. And part of what Jesus accomplished was just what He promised in John 14. That once His work was done, He would send His Spirit to dwell among His people. And so, in Matthew 26, we see where Jesus meets with His disciples in that upper room just hours before His death. And the Bible says that Jesus took the bread and broke it. And I say this often, but I don't want you to miss it. Jesus breaking that bread is, is a beautiful picture of the reality of what was going to happen. Jesus wasn't murdered. They didn't sneak up on Him. They didn't um, trick Jesus. It, it, it was none of that. In John chapter 10, He lets us know that He lays His life down for His sheep. And so as Jesus broke that bread, He says, this is my body. And what that means is this is the physical body that is going to die and shed the perfect blood that no other physical body contained. It was going to experience a very real punishment. A very real death. A very real separation from the Father. Ultimately, what this represents is the body that was rejected for our sin. And so we have access to God. We're accepted by God because Jesus was rejected. So after He broke it, He blessed it. And so Lord, we thank You for Your body and what it accomplished. I know this; these are not ideal circumstances to do this. God, I pray that as we think on the spiritual union and reality that we have through Your Holy Spirit because of Your broken body and shed blood, God, we would see the grace that it is that You've given us this act of worship. And we thank You for the body that was broken in our place. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. They took and they ate. And then Jesus took the cup. And He says, This is my blood of the new covenant, which will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins for many. And this blood is, again, different than any other blood. This blood is not just so that the believer can have access 
to forgiveness, but it's so that the believer is cleansed and purified. And so that on that great day at the wedding feast, as the bride of Christ is presented, she will be spotless. Every wedding I go to, every wedding I officiate, when that bride steps out in the back, there's just something in my heart that rejoices. Yeah, I'm really happy for her and for him. But it's a, it's a small it's a small picture. It's a small picture of what the bride of Christ will experience one day as we're presented spotless and holy and blameless and beautiful. And it's because of this blood that has cleansing power. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your shed blood. We thank You that not only do we have forgiveness, but we have cleansing because of the blood that You shed. We thank You for its permanence. We thank You for its power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the journey. The Bible says they departed and sang a hymn.